Shalom, and welcome to the Tanya, the Messiah, and You, a daily broadcast that seeks to connect the teachings of Chassidut, as given to us in the Tanya, written by Rabbi Shnur Zalman of Liadi, with the teachings of Yeshua of Nazareth, thus invigorating our Messianic faith with the beautiful teachings of Chassidut. Today we are continuing into chapter 35, wherein the Altar Rebbe will provide an interpretation and clarification of the passage in the Zohar quoted in yesterday's episode. In that passage, the Zohar explained how the human body is likened to a wick, the Holy Spirit to the flame above it, and the good deeds that a person performs to the oil that strengthens and sustains the light. With this in mind, the Tanya continues. Let's clarify this analogy. Where the light of the Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, is compared to the light of a candle, which won't shine and grasp its wick without oil. In the same way, the Zohar explains that the Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, won't rest on a person's body, which is compared to a wick, except through good deeds, exclusively. The implication here is that the soul alone, despite the fact that it is a piece of God above, does not suffice to provide oil for the wick, to cause the Shekhinah, or the Holy Spirit, to rest on the body. In other words, the body is only capable of acting as a wick, but it can't sustain itself. It is entirely incapable of serving as its own oil. Rather, as shall be explained, only ma'asim tovim, or good deeds, the fulfillment of practical commandments, are sufficient to strengthen and sustain the light of God's presence upon oneself. If a person were to rely on the reality that his neshama, his personal soul, is a piece of God above, and therefore should be capable of strengthening and sustaining God's presence upon him by nature of his soul's source, then he will soon come to realize that his neshama, his personal soul, has a deficiency as fuel that subsequently prevents the Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, from resting upon him for any significant period of time, much like a flame that goes out too quickly without the proper fuel. However, if the personal soul is from God and is a part of God, why isn't the soul capable of maintaining the Holy Spirit upon it? The Alter Rebbe continues, The answer will be clarified and explained for any intelligent person. Now a person's soul, his neshama, even if that person is a complete tzaddik, a righteous person, worshiping God with reverence and pleasurable love, as it says in Song of Solomon 7.7, nevertheless, that soul still does not lose its separate identity completely, which would enable it to be extinguished or nullified and literally absorbed into God's light and to merge completely with God in absolute unity. Rather, the soul retains its separate identity as one who is reverent of God and a lover of him, but not one with him. But this is not the case with the mitzvot, the commandments, and good deeds, which are the will of God himself. Even in the case of a tzaddik, a completely righteous person who has slayed his evil inclination and nullified his own will to the extent of becoming a chariot of the divine presence, and who has perfected yira, reverential fear, which guards him from sin, and the highest form of selfless love, called here ahava pata'anugim, which compels the tzaddik to obey the commandments with genuine sincerity, even someone of this high spiritual caliber is incapable of utilizing their individual soul as the oil for the light of the Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, because as the Altar Rebbe states, the soul still does not lose its separate identity entirely. It can't be completely nullified and absorbed in unity with God. The soul has an identity crisis. Though the righteous person's individual soul desires and even maintains the internal conditions to be nullified and absorbed into unity with God, it prevents itself from doing so at 100% because of the soul's self-awareness that it is a unique and distinct creation of God and exists as a separate entity. 
albeit a divine entity in the image and likeness of God. This reality is proven by the statement, I fear God and I love God, showing that there is not a complete self-nullification, but that the soul remains as a distinct I, separate in nature from God. However, though this is true of the neshama, the same cannot be said of the commandments, the mitzvot, as these are the direct manifestation of God's will, completely unified with Him. Therefore, because the commandments of the Torah and good deeds are completely one with Him without distinction, this remains the only sufficient fuel due to its undiluted nature. Why? Because the Shekhinah, or the Holy Spirit, cannot be present if another identity is blocking the way. The same can be said of Yeshua the Messiah who though being the tzaddik, understood that his neshama, his personal soul, while inside his human body, was incapable of achieving this complete nullification in unity with God, apart from the practical application of the mitzvot. As it says in Philippians 2, 5-6, through 6, Have this attitude in yourselves, that is an attitude of humility and self-nullification, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, who though existing in the form of God, as we shall explain later, did not consider being equal, merged, or absorbed into God's unity as the thing to be grasped. Why? Because though we strive for a complete nullification of self and unification with God, we are incapable of achieving this with our neshama alone, which is why he became obedient to the point of death, which secured the anointing and flame of the Holy Spirit upon him until he breathed his last. The Altar Rebbe continues his explanation. Now God's will is the source of life for all the worlds and creations. And this source energy only passes down to the worlds and creations through many diminishments. In Hebrew, tzimtzumim. And the hiding of God's face, hester panim, so as to conceal the supernal will of God. And this multiple downgrading of God's light was necessary to make possible the existence and creation of something from nothing. A separate entity that would not be overwhelmed by God's light so much that it would lose its separate sense of being, as described above in chapter 21. But this diminishment of light doesn't happen with the commandments, which are the inner undiluted will of God, which do not suffer in any way from the hiding of God's face. As a result, their energy is not separate from God at all. Rather, they are merged with and absorbed in the will of God, and they are totally united and seamlessly merged with His will. God's will, which is really God Himself, is the source of divine energy that invigorates all the worlds and his creations. And for this divine energy to become manifest, it has to go through contractions or diminishments called in Hebrew tzimtzumim, as well as hesterpanim or a hiding of God's face and presence, which is referred to in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 17 through 18. This is a gradual concealment of God's light and energy as it descends from one level to the other until finally it is capable of being perceived through the formation of a physical existence and tangible creation, as it were, quote-unquote, something from nothing. This essence of Tzimtzum is that it creates as a vessel for the divine light a separate entity with a separate sense of being, which is described earlier in the Tanya in chapter 21. This is actually the process by which Yeshua came to the world, as it says in John 1, 9 and 14, the true light, that is the light of the supernal will of God, the Or and Sof, coming into the world, gives light, that is the revelation of God's will, to every man. How? It says in verse 14, the word of God, that is what the Alter Rebbe states in chapter 21 of the Tanya, is totally united in one with God, his speech, became flesh and tabernacled among us through the process of contractions known as Simsumim 
until the Or and Sof, or the infinite light of God, was capable of manifesting in the physical form of flesh, a vessel for the divine light that exists as a separate entity with a separate sense of being. This is the concept of a divine Messiah within Judaism. The Alter Rebbe continues by saying that though creation, which includes human souls, requires a diminishment of light to exist and to endure. This is not so for the mitzvot or the commandments, which are the inner essence of God's will, and they lack any concealment of God's face. It is the revealed aspect of God's will, which is why it does not separate from the divine energy of God at all. Rather, the commandments or the mitzvot are entirely one with God, which means if we desire unity with God and the divine presence of the Holy Spirit upon us like a flame upon a wick, we require the undiluted oil of the commandments and good deeds. For these are, in essence, a tangible expression of God's will in our world. We may not be able to achieve 100% nullification of self and attain to complete unification with God using our own neshama. So we cling to that which is completely unified with God, the mitzvot. The Tanya goes on to explain why this is effective. Now, the meaning of the Shekhinah resting on something is that godliness in the blessed infinite light is openly manifest in that thing, which means that the thing is absorbed in God's light and has completely lost its separate identity in the presence of that light, because it's only then that we can say that the reality of one God rests and is manifest in that thing. Since if the thing retains its identity, we have two and not one. But so long as the thing hasn't lost its identity completely in God, the light of one God, the Shekhinah, won't rest and be revealed there. And even a complete Tzaddik, who is bound to God with great love, Ahava Rabbah, because in truth no thought can grasp him at all, and since this thought exists in a separate being, and the reality of God, the true God, as it says in Jeremiah 10.10, is a non-dual oneness, that there are no separate beings, that he is the only one, as we say in our holiday liturgy, and there's absolutely nothing other than him. If this is the case, then a person who loves God, since he's a separate entity and not nothing, amid such a consciousness of separateness, no thought of his can grasp him at all, and the light of God won't rest and be revealed in him through thinking or feeling about God. Rather, God's presence will rest through observing the commandments, which are the undiluted will and wisdom of God, without any hiding of God's face. Because our soul has a separate self-consciousness, it is incapable of becoming completely absorbed into the one God, because he would no longer be one, as there is two identities, our soul and God's infinite light. Therefore, since we can't completely be nullified and merged into God's oneness, God's divine energy and infinite light cannot be openly manifest inside of our soul. That is, it does not serve as an adequate wick. So the Holy Spirit, or the Shekhinah, is incapable of resting and being revealed within us on these conditions. Even a person who is a complete tzaddik, a tzaddik gamor, as it says here, like Yeshua, who is bound or glued to God with a great love, ahava rabah, an experience of closeness to God in which you are genuinely feeling and enjoying His presence as something that is nearby. Even a tzaddik of this caliber in his soul cannot be an adequate wick for the light of the one God because not even he is capable of nullifying his own existence as a separate being. This would be like trying to prove you don't exist while looking in the mirror. The logic doesn't negate the reality. The fact that the person can love God proves he is a separate entity performing the action of love toward the one God. 
The person is not nothing, capable of being absorbed into God, but he is in fact something, with a soul and a mind that cannot truly grasp or contain God's light. The resting of the Holy Spirit, even upon a completely righteous individual, is only possible through the observance of the Torah's commandments, the literal manifestation of God's will and wisdom, which is a vessel and a vehicle without either contraction or concealment. The Tanya continues, Now when a person is immersed in Torah study, then his soul, namely his divine soul, along with its two inner garments or expressions, the powers of speech and thought, are absorbed into the infinite light of God and merged with it seamlessly. And this is the meaning of the term resting of the Shekhinah on his divine soul. As our sages of blessed memory taught, that even if one person sits and is immersed in Torah, the Shekhinah is with him. That's from the Talmud in Brachos 6a. Torah study is in fact a mitzvah, but it's not entirely sufficient. Although the powers of speech and thought are able to draw down the Holy Spirit upon them through the mitzvah of Torah study, this does not affect the divine soul's garment of action, or the animal soul, or the physical body. Rather, it is the practical commandments that bring the Holy Spirit down to rest upon the third garment of your divine soul. Then the actions carried out by the godly soul perform a transformative kind of process upon one's animal soul and body. As we continue to read, but in order to pull the light and glimmer of the Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, upon your body and the animal soul too, the animal soul being the energizing soul, which actually interacts with your body, to do this you need to observe practical commandments, which are actually carried out using the body. Because then your body's actual energy invested in the mitzvah act is absorbed in God's light, in his will, and is merged with God's will seamlessly. And the soul power, which motivates the observance of the practical commandments, is the third garment of the divine soul, the garment of action. So by observing a practical commandment, you bring the Holy Spirit down upon this third garment as well. And then, when the divine soul's garment of action powers a practical commandment, the energizing animal soul from Klipat Noga, that is, is the white translucent husker shell, wherein the light of God is intermingled with the shell itself, and whose spiritual potential is redeemable through constructive actions. This interacts directly with the body. But it is temporarily transformed from evil to good and is actually absorbed into holiness, like the divine soul itself. The Shekhinah rests on the animal soul because it is the one that caused the mitzvah deed and performed it. And without the animal soul, the divine soul would have not had an influence on the body at all. For, the, for your divine soul, your neshama, is purely spiritual, and the body is completely physical and material. And the intermediary between them is the energizing soul, which interacts with the blood found in a person's heart and the rest of his body. For the performance of a mitzvah forces the divine soul to partner with the energizing animal soul to access the body, whereby, via this kind of transformation, the Holy Spirit is capable of resting on even the animal soul as well. Continues, and even though the deep core of the animal soul found in your heart, that is its negative traits, still have not been absorbed into holiness. Nevertheless, it's still possible for the Holy Spirit to rest on the animal soul and its powers since they have been coerced into holy activity. And against their will, the powers of the animal soul voice their agreement, and they consent to and approve of mitzvah observance as a result of a strengthening of the divine soul in the brain which rules over the heart, as the Tanya talks about in chapter 12. And at the moment of the mitzvah, the deep core of the animal soul and its powers are in a state of exile and dormancy. 
as was explained in chapter 13. Therefore, the dormant deep core of the animal soul doesn't hold back the Holy Spirit from resting on your body at the moment of the mitzvah. Discussing some truly striking statements, if the presence of a separate identity within a person blocks his soul from being a suitable wick to the divine presence, then why doesn't the nature of the klipa of the animal soul, which conceals and opposes God's oneness, not block the resting of the Holy Spirit? The Tanya answers here overpowers the animal soul and forces it to act against its will via the godly soul, which allows for the Holy Spirit to manifest even on the animal soul, which normally would block and repel it. Instead, it is exiled into a state of passivity, and only its energizing power is utilized for the observance of the mitzvah, which also means that its deep essential nature remains virtually unchanged, though it is deeply affected due to the fact that the energizing power of the animal soul is one with the animal soul. It continues, what happens is, the specific power invested by the energizing animal soul in observing the commandment with a specific part of your body becomes literally absorbed into God's light and seamlessly merged with it. And as a result, it draws a glimmer of light upon the rest of the energizing soul as a whole, found throughout the body. Glimmer only reaches the rest of the animal soul and the body in a secondary, disengaged fashion, hovering outside the body from head to foot. This explains why the above citation from the Zohar that we quoted yesterday is careful to say that the Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, rests upon his head, seeing that it hovers from outside the person. And similarly, over every ten, the Shekhinah rests, as it says in the Talmud in Sanhedrin 39a. The emphasis is also that the Shekhinah rests over them, rather than having just covered this very complex topic namely the manifestation of God's presence. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to explain how a manifestation does not create an actual change in God's essential nature, that is, his absolute unity. Every manifestation and expression of the Shekhinah's light, which is a revelation of the blessed infinite light, the Or En Sof, could not be termed a change in God, heaven forfend, or an expression of multiplicity. The reason why this is the case can be gleaned from what was stated in the Talmud, in the Tractate Sanhedrin, that a certain heretic said to Rabban Gamliel, You say that over every ten the Shekhinah rests, so how many Shekhinahs do you have? Rabban Gamliel answered him with a parable of sunlight, which comes from a single sun and can enter through many windows. As we'll understand. You see, from our perspective, the manifestation of God's presence within time and space only exists through quote-unquote many windows. However, from the reality that is God's perspective, the sun itself does not change when a window is open to allow in its light. In the case of the passage in the Talmud, even though ten men come together to pray, a minion, then the spirit hovers over them, it does not mean that there are ten shechinahs. And if there are more windows to let in the light does not mean that it has affected a change in the sun also the reason that we can confidently say that Yeshua is a tzimtzum, a contraction of God's infinite light manifested into our world at the downgraded level of a human being, a window letting in the sun, if you will. However, just because we can perceive the light coming into this window, it does not mean that there is a change to the sun itself. In other words, just because God's infinite light was contracted and concealed to the point that a separate entity became possible in Yeshua, the essential nature of God. Yeshua is merely God's light concealed in a dwelling. Meanwhile, the Father is the infinite light fully manifest, in absolute unity with no change or division. 
God everywhere without any hint of multiplicity. Important application comes out of today's reading. Though we, though we often get discouraged by the presence of the animal soul within us, which conceals and opposes godliness in our life, stops us from being completely nullified to ourself and unified with godliness, and constantly draws us after fleshly desires rather than the godly acts that we truly desire to perform. Yeshua, whenever we perform the practical commandments of the Torah, we force that animal soul to participate in holy activities, thus manifesting God's light in our body and drawing down His Holy Spirit on our divine soul's garments of speech, thought, and action, as well as upon our physical body. Even our animal soul receives the divine presence. By it states in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, the one who keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. We know that he abides in us by this, by the spirit he has given us. That is, by the practical observance of the commandments, God is capable of abiding in us because we create the conditions for the Holy Spirit to truly rest upon us. We bring up, we're filling our lands with pure, undiluted oil and sustaining the flame of the divine presence upon us. Like to shine ever brighter with every mitzvah that we perform. Even though the Holy Spirit rests upon us, this does not affect the change in the nature of God, but it merely testifies to the divinity of our Messiah. The end of today.